0: Normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's going on inside the head of someone that can go beyond
1: themselves?
2: It's, I think, that's something that you can't necessarily uh, consciously control. So all these other factors are coming into play. Let's say it's you know it's the Olympics and you're running that final race, and just being in that environment, you know, with the audience and the lights and the camera, whatever is there, is motivating your body. I mean, we see this in 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 cockroaches when they what, what? what? Let me tell you <laughs> something, you cockroach. No. Oh. Okay,
1: so I, I was not expecting that. Sorry, was that no one was. <laughs> Okay, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your host and your personal astrophysicist. And today, we're going to address issues that relate to. Your power and strength of mind, especially with regard to high-performance athletes. But, of course, advice there could probably apply to all of us at all times. I got with me my co-host,
3: Chuck Nice. Chuck? Hey, Neil. Okay. All right. Oh, it didn't work. I was trying to use my mind to uh, move some stuff in your, in your, in your room. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't work. Yeah, no. I, was, <laughs> I was trying to tap into the force, man. <laughs> Yeah, if you could do that,
1: you are in the wrong profession at this moment. <laughs> That's okay. so
0: true, right? I uh, just said,
1: and I got Gary Riley. Gary. Hi, Neil.
0: I uh, am practicing nothing right now, just Good. being stationary. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I like a stable world. Please, yeah. thank you. Uh, Gary is a, a former soccer pro in the UK and yep. soccer announcer. What, what did you have in mind for this episode?
0: Um, so, we we regularly look to the elite athletes to display the kind of supercharged performance and navigate under intense pressure. We want them to have unbreakable concentration. We want them to have off-the-chart cognitive skills. But what if you're not one of these elite athletes? What if you're a first responder? What if you're a surgeon, a police officer, a lawyer, a pilot, a single parent of three? Uh, Are the demands on your strength of mind not as intense? So how do I develop this type of mindset? How do I maintain this type of mindset? Right, they're the questions. For this we need answers. So, who are you going to call? The good doctor, Dr. Heather Berlin. Heather Berlin. Not only Berlin. is Dr. Ta-da. Heather Berlin yay a good friend to start talk, <laughs> but a neuroscientist, clinical psychologist, associate professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York. So, is eminently qualified to guide us through this particular. Area of science.
3: I love that you turned her a school of medicine into a positive affirmation. The I can school of medicine. <laughs> I can. <laughs> I do my best. I do my best. I C A H N. Heather, how do you pronounce that boy's
0: name? I can I can Right. Yes. Tomato. Tomato. Yeah.
1: Well,
3: no, that's I mean, that's I mean, how you'd say it in, in the UK. I-, I can't. Agree. Well, and mm, I I, I believe right? I can Oh really? not- dear, I believe I can't. <laughs> More Grey poop ball. <laughs>
1: Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So,
1: uh, for especially uh, during any game or any contest in mm. in high-level sports, but especially in playoffs and in the final games, uh, the coaches will always tell you you need a winning state of mind. Uh, and, you know, just like in life. And that's an interesting sort of extra thing that players going to have to worry about beyond their physical conditioning mm-hmm. after they spend all those hours in the gym running up and down stairs whatever it is and so heather what makes some people better at focus of mind than others and can you train this is this something <laughs> that that oh while i'm in the gym you know pumping iron or whatever i'm doing is there something else i can do with my mind so that in the moment when the time comes i'm ready
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, just like muscles in your body, you know, the mind or the brain, you can think of it like a muscle, right? And the more you exercise certain skills, the more you can develop them. Now, there are individual differences in our ability, say, to focus our attention or to sort of ignore negative thoughts or counterproductive thoughts that you might be having that can interfere with your performance. But there's a level of kind of cognitive control that we need in order to maintain focus and kind of dismiss these negative thoughts that might pop into our minds. And you can practice this skill. And there are particular parts in the frontal lobe that you can use to gain strength, let's say, um, in this cognitive capacity. Just to be
1: clear, it's not just negative thoughts. It's just distracting thoughts, right? I mean, any thought that takes you away from where you are, it wouldn't even have to be negative, I presume. Mm.
2: Yes. And one one of the practices is mindfulness and mindful meditation. Where you have a thought, sort of it could be a thought that's not relevant to the game or a negative thought, and you just let it pass like a cloud passing by. You don't attach to it. You don't let it take you down another path where you get distracted. So we can't stop these intrusive thoughts from coming in. But you can allow them to pass and not sort of attend to them so that you can maintain the focus on the thing you need to be paying attention to in that moment. So is that
0: why individual stress levels vary? Because they've attached themselves to this passing cloud, rather than just let it fly by. Because you hear people say all the time, "I've had enough." Well, who decides that? You know what? Right. What? What? What is it that's gone on in your mind that's decided that that's the point? That you that's can't your cross? threshold. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So here's the thing: there are two things. One is that there are individual differences in terms of our what we call like tolerance um, hmm. for distress. Okay, so some people have a higher threshold; they can maintain a lot of. Um, stress and not sort of break. Yeah. Others threshold is lower. But yes, anybody who follows, let's say one of these negative thoughts down a path, you know, let's say the thought is I'm not good enough. And then it goes to, oh, I'm not good enough. That means I'm going to do terrible in this game and I'm going to lose and the whole team's going to be disappointed in me and on and on and on. Yeah. Of course, anybody would start to get upset by those thoughts. So the more you follow them and let them lead you down this negative thought path, the more likely you are going to get more stressed out. So, the idea is to have a negative thought and just let it go and keep redirecting your attention to something positive or to the task at hand. You know, I got to catch mm. this ball right. I can't let that thought take me away. So, does that,
1: Jack, it does that. I keep hearing in my head, I keep hearing in my head, don't worry, be me. happy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that works. And <laughs> actually, music,
2: music can, um, there are a bunch of studies that show that music can actually change your mood and help you adapt to stress. And mm. people are like, Neuroscientists are working together to um, create playlists that can either help increase your attention and focus, or put you in a better mood. So, Heather, Heather, we saw that in the
1: Olympics, where the the guys coming out, you know, the the swimmers were coming out, and everybody had their
3: little headphones on. Mm -hmm. You know, and you wonder what are they listening to? I want to know. know,
0: I I hate. I hate. I hate.
3: Can we? uh Can we just sing another song? I can't get that damn song out of my head now. <laughs> oh my god. Oh.
2: Oh, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So okay, we've we've just planted a few earworms uh, that's for sure. But um, one
2: thing to say though about music is that it does um, impact the subcortical evolutionarily older parts of your brain oh. that are below the cortex and right. that's why people for example with Alzheimer's when they're having dementia and, like de- sort of decreased um, cortex if you play music, music for them, right. it can integrate them because
0: it's these more subcortical, deeper. I heard about that. Yeah, oh, it's pretty right. cool. Yeah, but was, Sa- was it Oliver Sacks that went down that route with yeah. music- philia
3: That book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was there was a film yeah, on uh, it. Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett had advanced dementia and was able to sing all of his songs. If you started him off, all you had to do was, I left my heart. And then he would boom right boom. into it. Yeah. You know? Because it's
2: instantiated in the brain, like riding a bike. Once you hit that, the basal ganglia, it's like this sort of it automatically just goes, like you flow into it.
1: Heather, just spend a minute about what is the basal ganglia. Hmm. Yeah.
2: It it's a complex subcortical structure and it's broken up into different parts. But it's involved in what we call, call implicit memory, mm. especially motor memory. So when you're first learning to ride a bike, you have to think about it, right? You're using your cortex. And once it becomes, after practice, it becomes automatic, then it gets moved into that basal ganglia, which um, it means you don't have to think about it the next time you ride a bike. Right. And and, it, and But it, that's also the part of the brain that's affected in Parkinson's disease. Um, and, and so it's involved in lots of different things. But if you think about automatic behaviors that we need to not be able to think about, like walking, we can't always have to think about how to walk. Right. Basal ganglia will control that. But music, sort of, it, it gets instantiated and not part of the brain.
3: Yeah. And you know what's cool okay. is uh, uh, the, all this, what Heather's, when you talked about underneath, it might be important to talk to the audience about the layer cake of the brain, because that's something. <laughs> I learned from Heather in just a offline conversation that I did not know about that your brain is built platform on top of platform on top of platform because of evolution, right? Yes, that
2: is how it evolved. You explained it just better than me. I mean, I should ask you the question. But yeah, I mean, sometimes the the subcortical structures are called the reptilian brain or the lizard brain. This limbic system that's like your raw sensations like emotions, um, anger. um, and, And it's when animals, other animals have to act on reflex and respond to their environment very quickly without this thinking about the consequences. That's the parts of the brain that we have inherited from our other animal ancestors. But then we start evolve this larger layer, this cortex, which allows us to feel those impulses, but then decide whether we want to act on them or not. And that gives us more control over our behavior. Um, But it also gives us more responsibility. We're more responsible for actions.
0: Uh, Doctor, I must ask, um, as in life or in sport, the ability to have unbreakable concentration is, is vital in certain moments. Why is it that some people have it and some people just get distracted by anything and everything?
2: It really has a lot to do with that ability to have cognitive control. Ah. Right. There's a part of the brain called the anterior singular, uh, a cingulate that has to do with like when there's conflict, when there's different things mm. that you can pay attention to. Some people are able to tune it out and remain focused. But if you don't have a lot of cognitive control, if you haven't exercised these parts of your brain, or you just happen to be genetically born with, you know, wired differently or a mm. smaller prefrontal cortex or anterior cingulate, you have a m- more difficult time tuning out the noise so that you can focus on the signal. So it's like people with ADHD they get very easily distracted. Hello. And I yeah the people who are squirrel, like, squirrel. But yeah, I mean that the thing I think that the people who are elite sports players might be the types of people that have a greater ability to do that and then they go on to sort of perfect that skill. Mm. So if if you're just so distracted all the time, you might be really good athletically, physically, but you're not able to keep your head in the game and you won't make it to those
3: elite levels. That Mm. is absolutely true. Why is concentrating so exhausting? Speaking as somebody who suffers off the charts, ADHD, Mm. I mean, literally off the charts. Uh, You know, when I concentrate for long periods of time, I'm literally, I am physically tired when it's over. Mm. What what is happening? So because
2: it's an active process, it's your prefrontal cortex has to be activated to decrease the activation that's happening in those subcortical like animalistic areas and it's a constant process. And the second you let go of that, you you let go of that suppression by the prefrontal cortex, it allows all the impulses to come up. So for example, if you're sleep deprived, if you're if you're hungry, um if you've been drinking, all of those things lower the prefrontal cortex activation and allow these impulses to kind of take over, right? But if you're somebody who is prone to, um, let's say your limbic system is louder and stronger than some other people's. So it's harder for you to control it. It takes more cognitive energy and therefore you're more tired at the end of the day.
1: I'm a caveman. Chuck, she she just called you a reptile. I'm
3: a a dumbass caveman. That's what
1: it is. Reptilian Reptilian caveman. You're not even a caveman. You're a reptile. That's true, that's true. I'm a a
2: stack. (laughs) <laughs> but let me say one thing, let me say one caveat. Some people who have the opposite problem when they're over controlled, when they have too much prefrontal cortex activation, have other types of problems. They ruminate a lot. They're over anxious. They they can barely function because they keep thinking about the potential negative consequences of things. And therefore they 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 can't be spontaneous. So and they're inflexible. So there can be problems on the other side of the spectrum as well. It's all about balance.
0: Mm, okay. All right. Is is there a way that you can balance? Or are you just stuck with whatever you've got? Yeah, mm, yeah. interesting. Therapy. Um, no, you. No, you okay. <laughs> look at that! Nice little plug for Heather's
3: business. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you having trouble concentrating? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but everybody, uh, if you think of it like your your genetics. Um, Predict like what your your boundaries are, where you, mm. where you're at, and then with therapy or practice, you can get to a uh, higher or lower level within your genetic bounds, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so Chuck, for example, if you if you lean more on the sort of impulsive, spontaneous side, which is good because it, it helps with you know being a good comedian, but maybe for other things, it's it's not that helpful. Yeah, like marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can work on being more consciously like cognizant of those behaviors. And it just takes more work for you to think about it and then actively sort of engage your prefrontal cortex to suppress some of those impulses.
1: Just to be clear, Heather, did you imply Mm -hmm. that since alcohol is one of several factors that could disrupt the ability of your frontal cortex to tamp down your your limbic... Impulses. Impulses. Mm -hmm. That... When you see bar fights break out, it's because people's frontal prefrontal cortex was losing control over the reptilian urges. And if that's the case, does that imply that were it not for our prefrontal cortex? We would all just be bar fighting
2: all the time? We pretty much, yes.
1: Wow. Okay. Wow.
2: Well, well, I mean, if you look at patients that have uh, damage to their prefrontal cortex or brain lesions, it expresses itself in different ways. It's not always physical violence, but it could be that they have these verbal outbursts. You know, they're just, they don't Mm. have any filter on what they say or they engage other impulsive acts like um, that would get them into trouble that if they otherwise had a prefrontal cortex, you know, they wouldn't do it. Just like this, all the stupid things you do if if, if you've ever been drunk. Right, Um, right, right,
1: right, right. You know, all
2: those things are normally suppressed by the prefrontal cortex. But when you lower that inhibition, it allows all these basal, basic impulses to come out. Um, so whether it's alcohol, brain damage—well,
3: look at that—I I have brain damage, and I'm drunk right now. So <laughs> <laughs> that means it's time to take a break.
1: <laughs> all right. When we return in this first interlude uh, for Star Talk Sports Edition, we're talking about the power of mind—not to move objects, but to focus and to concentrate and to perform. When we return, we're going to find out. Uh, what role your ego plays Ooh. in this and more with Heather Berlin, I want to call her a special guest, but she's like a regular guest. So uh, our beloved guest, uh, Heather Berlin, a neuroscientist
3: when we return. Working moms have way too many to do's. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you.
0: Games Rated E for everyone. We're back. Star
1: Talk Sports Edition. How the focus of mind can enhance or subtract from any attempt to perform at your peak, be it in everyday life or in any sports venue. And we've got Heather Berlin, our resident neuroscientist uh, as a, as our guest today uh, so so heather when people have um egos this is they think maybe they think exactly what they should of themselves but often when we say someone's got an ego they think more highly of themselves can that have a benefit to their performance is this something that that can manifest uh in, in, in mm. when it's game time, wow. under pressure. Does
3: it work in reverse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. If you don't yeah. think
1: you're good, do, do you end up performing worse than you can or should have? Just wondering.
2: This is a very complex question, actually. And it touches upon some Freudian things as well. But so, what, you know, when we say ego, you can think of it like it's your sense of self, right? And some people can have an inflated sense of self. Some people can, can have a low sense of self and, and devalue themselves. Um, you know, the ideal is to be somewhere in the middle. Now, to have self-confidence is positive, right? So I think that will help your performance to feel I'm going to go out there and I know I can do this. I've done this before. And it's sort of like positive self-talk and self-confidence is good. But when you get to these in, people with the inflated ego, there's something called a vulnerable narcissist. Ooh. And these are people that have a lot of bluster, but it's really to cover up their insecurity and vulnerability. Whoa. And so I, when somebody is too over the top about themselves, to me, that is a sign that they're actually very insecure. So the secure people with a very healthy ego don't don't have don't have to over advertise it. They just have a sense of like almost peace and stability within themselves.
1: So Heather, um are there tools of the psychologists, psychiatrists to manage a person's ego? Or is it, do you just talk them down from that? And and you have to talk people up if they mm. think lowly of themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. What, what are your tactics?
2: Okay, so there are a couple of things. First of all, when you get people on really high on the, the narcissist scale, they're very difficult to treat. And there's something called narcissistic personality disorder, which basically is a lifetime disorder. And they often don't come wow. for treatment because they don't think they have a problem. Everyone else, they have a problem, but they don't. Exactly. Right? So they don't want to change. So they're very difficult to treat. It's easier to lift someone up who has low self-esteem. Mm. Um, but, you know, one thing that what we do work with people on is when they want to keep their head in the game, or whether it's playing a game or giving a talk or whatever, is to, when you're in the moment, to become less self-aware. So there's a part of your brain, um, this dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, that has to do with your sense of self. And if you're trying to perform and you're constantly thinking, how am I doing? How am I throwing the ball? What are people thinking? That messes up your performance. Mm. And so the whole idea is to try to decrease your sense of self and be really in the flow state and be in the moment and then you perform your best.
3: That's what, I guess that's why a lot of coaches will tell you, and they don't mean it as a cliche, go have fun. Like get out there and play the game and have fun because in doing so, you take yourself out of that equation. If you're just really enjoying yourself, you're probably gonna have a pretty good performance, a very good performance. Plus the word flow is is a big word today
1: yeah. in everything. Do in you know music, the one thing, in...
0: Neil? That what? you'll hear an athlete say quite often a basketball player. Get out of your own head. Oh yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And this is Get out of your own way. Yeah. And, and your mm. your roadblocks are up here because you've right. done everything you need to do to be an elite athlete what's going on must be between your ears. So it's that, oh, I missed this free shot before. Oh, I didn't make that part. Oh, we didn't play well here last time I played it. Everything comes in here. And doctor, how do you deconstruct that? How do you get that baggage out of that person's mind? And it could be a lawyer, like I say, a first responder. How do you remove that baggage and successfully leave it to one side?
2: It's a little counterintuitive because the moment you say to somebody, don't think about those negative thoughts. They're just going to keep thinking about the negative. It's like someone who has insomnia and they keep thinking, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, why can't I sleep, right? What you have to do is think of something else besides sleep. Get distracted, you know, read a book, and then you accidentally fall asleep. But the more you think about not doing it, the, the harder it gets. And so if you can kind of distract yourself, or one, one strategy is, let's say it's a big game. Um, so just pretend it's a practice. You know, okay, this is just, you know, like I would do it because that takes the pressure off. Mm. And then, you know, decreases all the negative thoughts. Or, for example, academically, I, I remember, you know, there was a couple of classes you could take pass-fail. And I always would get like an ang in those classes because I didn't like care as much. <laughs> what a waste. I know. What? Was, a- what? Oh. Wait, it happened to me once. I'll never forget it. That's why I'm oh talking God. about it here. This is therapy. But, you know, the one class I decided to take- Tell, for tell credit, us about it, Heather, it, tell okay. us. I had an E minus in the one I took for credit and an A in the past fail one. And I was so frustrated, mm. but you know, the less you. No, let's
3: explore me. that, Heather. How did that really make you feel?
2: <laughs> <Yes>. Well, <laughs> 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 very disappointed in myself. Yes, yes, yeah, it and you should be. Health, no. <laughs> that was environmental health, and the other was adolescent health. And I'm not going to tell you which was what,
0: but mm-hmm. I was
2: very disappointed. In so myself. you mentioned
0: you you mentioned environmental, because mm-hmm. we, we've discussed here what goes on here, right? by dealing with what goes on in here. What if, and you? I find it now in, in the modern stadiums that have been constructed, particularly for my sport, soccer, football, if you wish, player lounges that they can go and sit in before they, they start, before kickoff, are constructed to give psychological boosts. It might be through subliminal paneling in the shape of a hexagon. It might be through colorways. It might be through lighting. Now, is this hogwash and it's just, the emperor's new clothes, or actually does this provide the psychological boost everybody is hoping it will?
1: Is that related to feng shui, where just the feeling of a space can mm. affect you emotionally?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, so I don't know the specifics about those particular rooms, yeah. but I do know that the environment can definitely affect your mood and your behavior. And we've all experienced that, you know, sometimes, like at schools now, they have some, um, at my kids' school, they have something called the Zen Den. And if a kid is feeling stressed... Whoa. Nice.
3: Whoa. Mm. Now, let me tell you something. That, that's a rich white school right there. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you, you, you ain't stepping into no schools in the hood. Where they are like, okay, Jamal, you need to go to the Zen Den right now, Jamal. Okay? All right? <laughs> <laughs> How much you paying for that school, Heather?
1: <laughs> somebody's somebody's making too much money in her practice. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. My day okay, de- you bro. know, my kids it was a timeout in the corners. So mm-hmm. It's becoming right. Zen Den. Okay, go on. Go
2: but on. the point is that, you know, or if you if you well, I don't know if you've ever gone to a spa or somewhere, you know, you go to a place, the music, the lighting, the furniture, the, the feeling, smells. yeah. It's, because mm. your brain is taking in all these sensory information. I mean it's black in such a brain. it doesn't see or hear or feel anything. It's just getting these sensory signals and creating a perception, interpreting what your mood should be. So if it's getting a lot of loud noises and, and screaming and yelling, it's going to affect your brain in a certain way. Yeah. If it's having a soothing you know calm, it will your brain will interpret it like, oh I am in a safe environment. Everything is okay. There's no need to have to put my fight or flight system you know into effect. Right, And so these environments do have an impact. Now, whether it's, you know, is it this color or that color or whatnot? You know, I I don't know the specifics, but I do know the environment certainly has an impact on how you feel and how you
3: behave. That's funny because I read an article about um, psychological torture. So in America, we're not supposed to psychologically, we're not supposed to torture anybody, like, you know, enhance interrogation. But what they found was what they could do is take the environment in which a detainee is held and make it so disconcerting that it would screw with their head and that they would begin to want to tell you anything just not to be in this place anymore. So they would like, Make the walls different sizes at different places, so that there was no symmetry, or they would use certain color schemes. Or I mean, I you know I didn't know if that stuff was real, but wait, wait, Gary, did they do this to the opponent's locker
0: room? Oh um, yeah, like they can <laughs> yeah. do. So for, for, there was for your one home games, There was one team we played. Uh, they're in the Premier League right now. Leeds United. They have. They still have a rather old stadium. When you went to the visiting team's locker room, dressing room, right? There were no toilet facilities in that area. You had to walk out of the locker room, down a corridor, and into a more public toilet facility. So it was all psychological yeah, that's, to mess that, that, you that's growing up. with your ego right there. Oh, yeah. That's just, you know what? You need to do. use the bathroom, whatever it is. It was everything that was done to try and just tweak your performance and take it down.
1: Well, wait, wait. So, Heather, Heather, in that, okay, Heather.
0: Mm So,
2: uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: at what point does it take you down and at what point does it boost you back up? Because I tell this story and I'm going to say it again here and now. A friend of my father's, my father ran track, a Mm -hmm. friend of his, Mm -hmm. um, they ran for the Pioneer Club, which um, hosted the Blacks and Jews who were not admitted to the New York Athletic Club. Okay. A friend of his, Johnny Johnson one of his black friends mm. who ran. Yeah, well, you didn't, have to, say the, you like didn't have to black with name You didn't have to, but I was, I, <laughs> I okay? He's coming around the backstretch and there's a runner from the New York Athletic Club several paces behind him mm. going into the straightaway. The coach for the New York Athletic Club runs down the line, said, this is like in the 1950s, says to him, catch that nigger.
3: Mm.
1: And my father's friend overheard this and said, this is one nigga he ain't gonna catch, That's right? <laughs> and, just, yeah. and extended his lead. And so, mm. so, so, in terms of motivating forces, you could think you're beating someone down yeah. when you're just making them mad. And you make now they now they want to beat you all the more. So, can, can oh, you know yeah. in advance which which is which?
2: Mm-hmm. It really depends on the individual and what motivates them.
1: Yeah. Right. Mm. So
2: somebody could hear that and get really defeated by it if they have maybe some low self esteem. Right. Feeling insecure, and then they hear that, and then that you know just completely crushes them, and they feel that oh maybe I can't do it. Right. But it sounds like you know your dad had had a high, you know, sense of self. His
1: whole generation. I mean, he, oh, he would have yeah. re- yeah. responded the same way, for sure. Our mm-hmm.
2: Self-worth, and and so that is motivating, right? So it can hit people in different ways depending on what their underlying sort of psychological
3: profile is. Okay, because then it can land easy. differently in different people. Well, this right? is yeah. this is yeah. the whole basis let, of trash remember, talking. Uh, let, let's also keep in mind, it was the 50s. Nothing would make mm. a black man run faster than hearing a white man behind him screaming an N-word. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well Chuck, I mean,
0: how often how often do you hear stories? Right? Oh, there is what it is. But this is this deck, Doctor, this is the basis of trash talking. I mean, I've seen head coaches yeah. before yeah, a game yeah. try and trash talk some of my teammates. Now he didn't realize just how quick and sharp they were. And these were black players with attitude, and they tore him to pieces before the game. And they mm-hmm. just came in and said, "That joker just tried to trash talk us. What an idiot! Oh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> what are we going to really? do? Really? Yeah. No, Let's it's kick like we are going to so destroy this team today. And Let's this kick is some ass. this is the way it spins itself around. And some people, if you, if you know the characteristic of certain individuals on the other team, you will go there. You will go there knowing that that will destroy their performance levels enough for you to find them as a weakness and exploitative. Or you learn to never trash talk
1: Michael Jordan. Yeah. Because or, or
3: Kobe. Who was the guy that we had on? But he tells the story of how Kobe scored 50 mm. because before the game, this other player was talking a, a bunch of smack to him. And mm-hmm. Kobe was silent the entire time that he was talking the smack. He was saving it up. He was saving saying, it up. And then when the game started, yeah. Kobe got the opening jump ball, went down, Shot all net, turned to them and went forty-eight. Oh no, no, he didn't. And then yes. the next time yes. he scored, he went forty-six. No, he didn't. And he, he counted didn't. Oh. backwards from fifty and ended up scoring fifty in that game.
1: Oh man! Oh man!
2: Anger is a motivator, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody you know insults you and you and that gives you fire in your belly that can motivate you, you know, kind of like a revenge or I'll show them. But I think the best kind of, well, not that I want to teach people how to psychological torture, but. um, (laughs) However, (laughs) however. But if you really want to disturb your teammates, instead of insulting them, which could motivate them, you know, like we've just shown, is to give them very, um, it's a subtle manipulation. It's an uncomfortable environment, you know, like we're talking about. Have it be, you know, they, they they fly, you know, in the uncomfortable plane seats and then they're in these rooms that are like small and claustrophobic and they're asymmetrical and there's loud noises and bright lights mm. and all these things that set off your nervous system to destabilize you. So when you're uncomfortable or uncertain uncertain about things, that makes people destabilized and can accept their performance. Mm. By the so, way, that was
1: a, big, a major plot point in the movie Major League um, where... The, the owner didn't want to win the championship, so she would move from Cleveland, Ohio. And she uh, ma- made him take buses instead of the planes, uh, took, off, took away the hot water in the, in the club, in the clubhouse, mm. and started diminishing their perks. And that just got him angry at, at that point. But, but it's a movie. Yeah. You know, but-,
0: but you see, what, what Chuck was relaying there about Kobe Bryant... A, it's the motivation to turn it into what is a negative to turn it into a positive. But you talked earlier on, Doctor, about the cortex overriding certain decision making that was prehistoric. And his and for him to be able to go, I got this, and be in total control.
1: Oh, there it is. Is yeah.
0: is this real smart in-game intelligence that you find yeah. some elite athletes just can dial up instantly, just like Kobe Bryant In our
1: next segment, we're going to take a break, but we're going to talk about in-game intelligence. There you go. And intuition and other things that look natural. And is it learned? Is it just practice? Is it they're born with it? We're going to find that out when we return with Heather Berlin talking about uh, focus of mind in life and especially in sports on StarTalk.
0: You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship. From a ride on the bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud9 Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags. Be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, the Bahamas, and Panama.
3: eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential.
1: Back, Star Talk, third and final segment with our guest, Heather Berlin, neuroscientist and friend of Star Talk. And of course, I got Chuck and Gary. Uh, Heather, are you active on social media? What are you you up to? I
2: am. I am on Twitter and Instagram, Heather underscore Berlin.
1: Okay, and thank you. So, Heather, uh, we want to learn about sort of court intuition, field intuition, or uh, intelligence. Uh, uh, sports IQ, if you want to call it that. And is there anything we should know or be able to think about this? Holding aside that there's a racist dimension to this occasionally, okay? Um, do you remember Jeremy Lynn, the basketball player?
3: Lynn Sanity!
1: Um, Lynn Sanity, okay? Uh, he was really good on the court and had some very high-scoring games. And he played for eight seasons or something, mostly with the New York Knicks. Um, the the newscasters kept saying, "Oh, he has that uh, uh, look at that court IQ that he has, and he's he's a smart." But everyone talking about how smart he is, whereas there are black players who could easily outperform him, and no one ever says they have high court IQ. So this is a this is a bias that is deep within our culture. Look at if that. A, Lynn if a black Sandy. athlete performs, it's natural. Whereas if a white athlete, or especially Asian in this case, performs, well, they've studied it. And mm-hmm. they they're a student of the field and they have an eye. So holding all of that aside, because that's a separate show if we were going to go there, because I, I don't like playing the race card like Chuck always does. Of course. Okay. <laughs> Jeremy Lynn, look at him just doing geometry
3: the same. Geometry, those buckets. right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but but all the other black players that are sinking the same buckets, they're not doing geometry, right. out, apparently. Exactly. Okay, yeah. that's just natural. So what I'm what I, what I want to ask you is the people who seem to just know and anticipate and they're all in can you learn that? It seems to me if you could learn it, then everyone would have it right. but everyone doesn't have it. Yeah. so maybe there's something
3: not. It's got to gotta be something that. that set those guys apart right
2: mm-hmm. uh, So what I would say is this it's actually it it, it it can't be learned specifically, but it can by proxy. and by that I mean, there's such complex, um, a, a, such a complex skill set that you can't think about it consciously. So what the players do, what I think is happening is when you practice so much that because your your unconscious can process much more information than consciousness. Consciousness is very limited. So if you had to think at every moment, what angle should I hit that ball into the net at? And what exactly you you couldn't do it that way, but if you had enough practice, your unconscious had enough information. Be able to do all the calculations and figure out where should I be on the court? Who should I pass it to without you having to consciously think about it? That's the skill set. It's when it's so over rehearsed that things start to become implicit that wow. you have a kind of intelligence, but it's not a conscious one, it's unconscious.
1: And you I just want to repeat what you said. You said your unconscious awareness mm-hmm. can be aware of way more that's going on than your conscious awareness. Mm. So yes. the more you can hammer what Is might be a difficult task to learn, the more you can hammer that, tamp that into your subconscious, the more effective you'll be in your venue. Mm Is that a fair?
2: Exactly. So that's the same thing with with the improvisers, learning an instrument. Practice, 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 learn all the skills and the intricacies, and then relegate it to your unconscious where you can make beautiful, you know, um, improvised music. But the best improvisers are the ones that have practiced the actual, you know, skills. The most, relegate it to the unconscious and let the unconscious take it away and do what it wants. But the moment you start thinking too much about it, you actually limit yourself.
0: See, so this, 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 this I can actually relate to, not because I was an elite athlete, but or not because been, you don't think. Right. I'm, but that as well. But you see, the things, if you've got the toolkit as a skill set and it's it's got so many different things for the solutions, that, the problems you have in front of you you know you've got that. That's a real confidence boost. Going back to what we were talking about earlier on, you don't have to have that self-doubt. You know you've got this no matter what comes at you. Then you're using your own sight to be able to analyze what it is that has to happen, the situation you're in, and then you improvise that skill to deliver something, maybe a three-point shot, maybe a two-point shot, maybe a sneaky little pass that no one else but you has seen because you've seen a runner off to the side of the court and you put a little ball behind your back between your legs and up and over there. And it's like everyone's like, wow, the only person that saw that was you. And we sat up here in the crowd and we couldn't even see that ourselves. So all of this is going off at a rate of knots that is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the, the less you have to think about, the more you relegate to the unconscious, the less mm. you have to think about the moment and the more you could pay attention to other things, right? Yeah. That gives you a like a greater
3: repertoire of possible things to do. That makes a lot of sense because, so Odell Beckham Jr. at the time, I don't know how many mm. years ago, made a one-handed catch that was like yep. considered one of the greatest one-handed snags in all of football. This is as he fell into the as end zone? As he fell into the end zone yeah. and yeah. he stretched backwards and he's all, and it's just incredible to watch. But since then, mm. one-handed catches, Happen three, or four, three or four times a game in almost every game. They're a thing, and and, and it's because all the receivers practice one-handed catches now. Like um. they all practice that. It's it's so funny that
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it's become a tool within their toolkit. Yeah. But this is, I do think, the confidence comes in. For example, mm. you know, I know it from my field academically. You know, you study years and years and years of the brain, and then. You, you go into a situation and it's like, well, any question can be asked. I don't know what question, but you trust I have enough, let's say, practice or enough I've, you know, yeah. knowledge base that I'm confident that I could probably figure out an answer to something. And it's the same thing with going on in the court. You've had enough practice and experience of different moves and shots and things that you figure anything they throw at me, I'll I'll be able to throw something out. You know, I'll have an I'll have a response to it. And that's what I think the great athletes have is they just have they don't have to think about the response. It just comes based on all the mm. years of practice.
0: You know, the other thing that's developed, Neil, with, with team sports, maybe basketball, definitely with NFL and in my game my game of football is pattern recognition. Mm. When this, this, this happens, I know I need to be here to stop this or I need to be here to facil- facilitate a pass into me so I can set this other thing up. And you practice and you train, but now and again, someone comes along and just breaks the mold. But what is it, doctor, when you've got pattern recognition going on in the head? What, what makes it so sharp? And then go back to Neil's point, intuitive. You've got that history of knowledge of research, and then, boom, you can execute it immediately.
2: Again, your, your brain is like a meaning maker machine, and it's always looking for patterns. I mean, that's what we do every day in our life mm. is pattern so we can predict the future, right? So if you're doing it within a particular domain of sports, you've been doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. You start to get attuned to that. But what I did find, I, I, I once in, in my career, I was doing um, the neuropsych testing of, of NFL players. And so both baseline and then after they have a concussion to see if they're able to go back in the game. And the interesting thing that I found, not, you know, being a person who's very into sport, you know, there's this cliche that people who play sports. You know, or like jocks and not necessarily the brightest. Like obviously a stereotype. Mm. And when I gave them these neurocyte tests, they performed so well. They were so good at like uh, at speed and accuracy of cognitive tasks. Yeah. You know, And that was when I realized that that is part of the skill set. It's not just the physical prowess. Mm-hmm. Right? These were really smart and capable, and 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 that's part of being a good athlete.
0: Mm. It's yeah. not an academic smartness, is it, Doctor? There's another, there's this game intelligence. There's I this would. Real... I
3: would say that there, it is an academic smartness simply because it's just applied to the game mm. because I don't know if anybody's ever seen an NFL playbook, but it, it looks like <laughs> yeah. the kind of stuff Neil and his brood write up on chalkboards. It's ridiculous. Well, but
2: let me see the difference between academic academic tests, which are knowledge of facts, how much you know know about history and whatever. Um, And if you haven't had a certain type of education, you might not do well on those Mm tasks, right? You haven't been exposed to that information. That's what I really meant, that kind of. Yeah, well, well, these kinds of tests, these neuropsych tests are kind of like, or IQ tests, Mm. you can't study for them. They're based on basic like like um, mental rotation of shapes but you know those skill sets are our natural abilities of the brain those are the kinds of things we're looking at speed how fastly can you trace this thing you mm. know um and, and or fluidity mental fluidity and and they score really high on these kinds of things mm. so
0: could could if you were able to develop and sharpen your intuition as an athlete as a Ooh. team sport would that be of benefit to take that kind of Application into other professions to to enhance the performances of, of doctors, lawyers, surgeons, etc. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh,
2: I would say this. And unfortunately, there's no sort of quick fix. Mm. The best way to sharpen your intuition is with experience, mm. and it, ultimately, it's wisdom. So, if in my field, if I seen enough patients and enough, you know, um, think. I can read people very quickly because of years of experience and practice. Mm. And I think then you get a sense of intuition. You tr- intuition is your unconscious feeding up, serving up to your consciousness information. Mm. It's saying, there's, a, you know, I'm not consciously thinking about it. Something will pop up and be like, oh, that's a red flag on that person. Or I think they might have OCD or whatever it is. And the same thing in sports. It's years of experience that, that help you sharpen that intuition and know what the right move is at the right time.
0: I agree. Cool. Very cool. You know, that's, you know, rookie, rookie mistakes, because they've not had enough game time to be able to know that that thing is about to happen. Yeah, but that's yeah, why they call the it rookie mistakes. Is, yeah. In
2: sports, the problem is, which is different than some maybe, you know, other professions, is that as you get older and have more experience, your intuition gets better, but your physical ability can start to decrease, right? Yeah. So, you know, you might be better in certain ways, but not in others. But in, in other professions, you know, you, you don't have that downside. Right. Really.
3: Yeah, that's why, that's, why you want, that's why you like it when your doctor is older, mm-hmm. you know, because you know that that doctor has a lot more experience.
0: So, so the mm-hmm. thing is, doctor, when you, what you've just described, the athlete that's aging, but the game experience and the intuition is rising, A great athlete remains great by adapting and surviving. They know they no longer have foot speed or they no longer have certain aspects, so they load other areas to compensate for what is diminishing. And Mm. you see it so often. And I think with medical science and with the actual understanding of how to develop mental skills and strength, players like LeBron James going deep into their 30s and still being almost at the top of that. Isn't game. he already forty, LeBron? I don't want to. He's too big for me to to get his <laughs> age wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought he's forty. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, Heather, there's something that we haven't discussed, but I think it it relates to all of this. At one point in our conversation, we said that uh, to re- to relieve some of your stress, just go out and make believe it's practice. You're just having practice. Mm. Just go have fun. Mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. In sports where you can set a world record, mm. there is stress in the final race, in the final contest, that pushes you beyond any limit your body, mind has ever seen. And typically that, doesn't, that won't happen in practice. Mm. Mm-hmm. So something is going on in the heads of people to do something that not only has no one else done before, neither have their own body done before. Mm. What's going on inside the head of someone that can go beyond themselves?
2: It's. I think that's something that you can't necessarily uh, consciously control. So all these other factors are coming into play. Let's say it's you know it's the Olympics and you're running that final race and. Just being in that environment, you know, with the audience and the lights and the camera, whatever is there, is motivating your body. I mean, we see this in, in, in cockroaches
3: when they- what, what, Let me tell you something, you
1: cockroach. No. I, okay, so I, I was not expecting that. Sorry. That no one was. Okay, <laughs> sorry.
2: Sorry. There's something called the social facilitation effect even in other animals, when a cockroach will run a certain speed and when it's in the presence of other cockroaches, like observing it, it will run faster. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know that it's consciously making that decision. And and we all know this and somehow we perform differently when we're alone versus if we know other people watching us. And you're not consciously saying, I'm going to perform differently because, but but this input is getting into your brain It's telling you this is important or I want to impress these people, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, and it encourages you to go beyond these limits. But there's nothing you you can tell yourself to make yourself do it. It's almost like you, you have to get all your skills and have everything ready to go and just trust your body knows what it's doing. Um, and one example I'll use is, um, you know, a friend had told me this once. We were running, we were going down a mountain. We were like going down and I was like so nervous and taking it step by step. By, and, you know, I, and he was just going really quick. And he said, you gotta just not think about it. Just let your body go and it knows what it's doing, and you'll get down safer that way. And there was And those in were that. the
3: last words he ever spoke. <laughs> As I watched him tumble away.
0: He was never seen he was again. never seen again. <laughs> See, the other thing, Doctor, it's a competitive streak in an individual. And then you have you hear other phrases and the 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 one that sounds stupid but actually does have some credence to it is winners find a way of winning because that's what they want to do. That's what's going on in their mind. The other ones are things like the bigger the game, the big players turn up and they bring a big performance with them. They don't cower in the corner and they have this ability to rise to an occasion. They, I mean, the other mantra you'll hear is if, you, if you're if you playing in a big set piece game, don't play the game, not the occasion. So they take away all the peripheral hype and drama and noise. That won't always be good based on what Heather just told us. Mm -hmm. I know. You want to be, your other roaches are looking at you. (laughs) I know, but then then you see you've got these other competitive streaks. Now, I didn't turn up because I want to go home a loser. I turned up because I want to win. Otherwise, I wouldn't have bothered getting out of bed. And it's Mm -hmm. this sort of attitude that you find. I mean, maybe it's higher, stronger within certain individuals that rise to the very top of the sports. And in life.
2: Yeah, what you're talking about is something, a concept we call mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of studies that someone named um, Carol Dweck has, has done a lot of work on this. But um, when you have a particular mindset, it can affect so many things down to your basic physiology. So yeah. this this one study looked at people who were cleaners at hotels and they would always be tired at the end of the day and they measured all their physiologic, their body, weight, and you know BMI and the rest of it. And then they started putting up these signs in the break room saying that, that that cleaning is really good exercise and it's really good for you. And it actually like burns calories and all these things. And they changed their mindset about the work. And then their physiologic measures started to improve. They were doing the same amount of work. Wow. And there's a number of studies like this. But the point is that if you go into a situation saying, I'm a winner, and you have this goal in mind and this foresight, and then your body kind of comes along to meet that expectation, right? If you really believe it, if you really, and you compete with yourself, most of the best athletes are trying to beat their own record. It's not as much about the other person, about beating their own, you know, Kobe Bryant or whatnot was probably just trying to beat himself, right? And that continues to motivate you and keep you at the top of the game. But really having a goal and and trusting that somehow your brain and body will find a way to get there. And that's a positive mindset.
3: Cool.
1: Yep. All right. Well, we gotta call it quits there. What that was a chalk full episode. Man. Man, my my brain is still digesting all that. Plus the roaches. I gotta uh, think I, about, <laughs> I gotta think about that I, I,
0: one. I, I, and don't forget, Neil, never take a lizard into a bar and get it drunk. There you go. <laughs> oh, that was the lesson of the segment one's
3: lesson. Don't
1: get lizards drunk. Nope. That's the worst worst uh-huh. thing. Well, Heather, it's been a delight to have you back on Star Talk. Thanks for being such a loyal friend of the show, uh, uh, serving us up your expertise when and where we need it. Uh, and Gary, Chuck, always good to have you guys there. Pleasure, a Pleasure. All right, this has been Star Talk Sports Edition, a, a an episode on the focus of mind. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up.